Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharmaram Podcast for December 31st, 2010, and today we talk about Pure Land imagery and belief in Buddhism. So we want to start our discussion today um, with a question that came in uh, through Facebook, and uh, it's directed uh, towards the imagery and he asks, uh, I wonder how you view the imagery of the Pure Land scripture. Symbolic? How about the Pure Land itself? What does or could this mean? Uh, and so this is a interesting question. Uh, Pure Land Buddhism, and I think Mahayana Buddhism has a lot of imagery that uh, may be difficult for us to swallow in here in the 21st century, our so enlightened rational scientific age. <laughs> um, and so uh, it kind of began a discussion uh, online, uh, and so we want to address some of that today. And I think, well, maybe we won't give the conclusion yet. I think it's really a sticking point for a lot of people, some people coming to Buddhism. And of course, uh, as we always try and uh, point out, uh, there isn't just one kind of Buddhism, right? There are all different kinds of Buddhism. and uh, they represent themselves in different ways. And uh, Pure Land Buddhism has some, you know, again, there are different schools of Pure Land Buddhism too, and there's Pure Land Buddhism found in Tibetan Buddhism, there's Pure Land Buddhism found in uh, like Korean Zen or, or, you know, Chinese Buddhism, Japanese Buddhism. A lot of times Pure Land imagery appears uh, in different kinds of Buddhisms. Uh, but, you know, the idea of a Pure Land, the idea of this kind of like heavenly place, uh, where the Buddha is preaching and there's like flying palaces and celestial maidens and music and jeweled trees and jeweled water, uh, which the sutra, larger sutra, goes into in great detail, great detail, excruciating detail. Um, and then repeats it all in verse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you can get the, the um, abbreviated version in the smaller sutra. Uh, you know, what, what, what is, how do we understand that? And, you know, we've, we've kind of touched on this before, but uh, we'll see where we go today. It's all true, man. Yeah. In a literal sense. That's the argument I'm going to make today. Yeah. Not really. You could. <laughs> <laughs> Some people do. I mean, I think that there are certainly people that think of it as literally true or in some sense true, if not literally true, then in some other kind of sense real. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um I don't know how to, I, I guess the, the tricky part is how do you reconcile some of the imagery with what we know from, uh, you know, modern science, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you say the Pure Land is to the west, well, uh, I don't know, to the west of here is the ocean and then Japan, and then, and then what? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you can't leave the planet and go west. Um, so right, right. how do you reconcile those kinds of things with, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's one, one sticking point. For people, how do you reconcile the the not just the fantastic imagery, but the the specificity of it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, a pure land is a specific direction. And I was just reading something online too about um, 
somebody uh, on some academic listserv I'm on, people were talking about how, uh, you know, Buddhist cosmology posits that the Earth is flat. That's what I was just wondering. Yeah, and they were yeah. the directions work in a flat in a flat Earth, Earth. Yeah. theory. Yeah. But you don't like we don't usually like when I read flat Earth, I actually use the word flat earther like to like in the way that like there's you know people who talk about the flat Earth and you know sort of pre-Columbian era of mm-hmm. European thought, and it was sort of like oh yeah, that's right. The Buddha talked about a flat Earth, or you know some Buddhist sutras talk about the flat Earth, and I, it's like oh okay, well that doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> um, interesting, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that that never occurred to me until just now when you were talking, huh? Yeah. And you know that yeah the idea of the the um, disc the right with disc, the, yeah. the four continents and the Mount Sumeru in the middle and the the um, thirty three heavens and the mountain ring around the edge and everything so that is kind of flat Earth idea I guess maybe. yeah very flat Earth huh. with the hells underneath and floating on some cosmic dust or something yeah. right 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 interesting yeah yeah and the the great thing is um, medieval Japan uh, or, or maybe pre modern like. Like after 1600, mm-hmm. um, th- th- those two or three centuries, uh, I think ideas were coming in of more modern kind of quote unquote modern scientific ideas. And so at Ryukoku University, they have this model that someone built. And I don't know exactly like when, but it's probably like 1700s, 1800s, where he tried to make this scientific model of the Mount Sumeru flat earth theory version as yeah. if it was real, trying yeah. to prove it. <laughs> that was kind of interesting, you know. That, and so that's actually really interesting. With science colliding with mythology, maybe, huh? Yeah. yeah of yeah. trying to find a scientific basis for uh, a, a previous idea that science maybe has has shown to be false, if not, you know, right. I was going to say not quite true, if not false. Yeah. Tricky, tricky stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, I think. Yeah, and so I don't know. It seems like it's easy to me to, and I think a lot of modern Buddhists to do this, and it's easy to just sort of dismiss a lot of the mythology or imagery as purely symbolic or metaphorical or uh, symbolic of psychological states, right? I mean, it's it's easy to sort of to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It seems easy, and I, you know, in a pinch, I'll do the same thing. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's worth sort of thinking about, thinking about it, and just sort of talking about whether or not it's not necessarily literally true, but um, different ways of looking at it. Because it's not like there's been some sort of unified decision that was made by all Buddhists around the world that we're going to stop talking about it in some you know literal sense and talk about it in a metaphorical sense. And you know, even if you do say that this is, isn't literally true in a scientific, modern, rational way, well, uh, you could still interpret it in a thousand different ways. So it's sort of worth having the conversation. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I think my one of the things that I don't like is to say, oh, it's just a symbol. Yeah. It's symbolic of something else. And it's it's too... It's easy. Uh, yeah, too easy. Lazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> You're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It just seems worth it to sort of wrestle with it a bit and say, well, it, it almost feels like people will say, oh, it's just symbolic, and then they'll change the subject. It's like, well, symbolic of what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know. And symbols are multivalent. Yeah. Right? Symbols yeah, yeah. don't have just this, this symbol points to one meaning in a direct one-to-one relationship, end of story. Right. Um, that's simplistic. Yeah. Right? I mean, that symbols have many, can point to many different things yeah. and have many meanings. Yeah, yeah. And it, and, and, 
and how would you even, I mean, some of this stuff too, how would you even, um, how would you even call it symbolic or what would you relate it to in the quote unquote real world? Um, I'm thinking of the six realms of rebirth and one of the realms of rebirth is the realm of the gods. Mm -hmm. And you can, in traditional Buddhist cosmology, you can be reborn in the realm of the gods and gods live for eons, right? They live for millions of years sometimes. Um, and then, and they never grow old. They just sort of exist in this sort of perpetually, you know, youthful state until the very end of their life when they suddenly get very, very old and their bodies literally start decaying while they're still alive. And they go through this horrible, horrible, painful death. Well, how, how is that symbolic? And, and what is it symbolic of? And, you know, it's like, it's easy to sort of do the sort of one-to-one hungry ghosts represent being, you know, greedy or unable to satiate yourself. That's sort of an easy one-to-one relationship. Mm-hmm. What about this weird, you know, godlike state where you die suddenly, painfully, horribly after a very, very long life of luxury? What is that symbolic of? What mm-hmm. sort of psychological, mental state does that correlate to? And, and I'm sure somebody could answer that question. Um, but just to sort of that's what I mean by going deeper and really looking at this stuff, not just sort of saying, oh, it's symbolic. And then, you know, talking about something else. Wait, 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 wait. And I'm thinking, uh, the pure land imagery, uh, imagery of the pure land, uh, is maybe something that we should look at more closely as well. And yeah. not just like poo poo and be like, Oh yeah, this is just an idea that these ancient people had of this like paradisical land. And so let's get rid of that. It really is a metaphor expressing non-duality or something, right? Like, and that's what we should be focusing on. That's what we should learn about. And it's like, well, maybe that's one aspect of the, the um, imagery, but that's not necessarily uh, the, all that it means. Yeah. yeah. Um, if, we, if we look at that imagery a little bit, um, the larger sutra and smaller sutra, you know, they talk about, uh, and, you know, contemplation sutra too, this... Um, the trees and the the the, the pools, uh, so there's a very visual aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's another aspect, the kind of uh, some of the other senses, like uh, the, the 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 breeze is just the right temperature; it's not too hot, not too cold. The water, when you step in a pool to take a bath, comes up to whatever temperature you want, or, or whatever height you want, and the temperature is just right. And um, <laughs> kind of interesting to think about. We take that for granted. Yeah. We take for granted that we have these two knobs or one knob or whatever that you can turn and get the water just the right temperature, just the right um, pressure that you want, right? And that's just normal for us. So, so we're living in the pure land. In a way, compared <laughs> to how a lot of people live, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another really important aspect of the pure land is the ability to meet a Buddha, mm-hmm. the ability to hear a Buddha preaching the Dharma. Uh, and so, you know, in one way we can see that as maybe early followers who, you know, really regretted having just missed the Buddha <laughs> a couple hundred years earlier or something. Maybe even people who like knew, had met someone that met someone that was in the presence of the Buddha, mm-hmm. right? If we think about the first two, three hundred years, yeah, right? Um, and so we can think about it that way, but maybe uh, I think in a way some kinds of Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhisms, we can see as... Uh, trying to see the world as Buddha teaching me. Yeah. Right? Try, not so much trying to become Buddha myself, although that's part of it, but in order to become Buddha myself, I have to hear the Dharma from a Buddha. Right? So how do I do that? Um, does it mean looking for a, a person that is like the earthly embodiment of Buddha, or can we, with understanding of like Dharmakaya and uh, Buddha nature and um, this world is the pure land kind of stuff, it's like can we see the world in a different way? 
Uh, and maybe that's something to be learned from the, the Pure Land scriptures as well, um, looking at what, what the Pure Land symbolizes. Mm-hmm. Is it a heaven? A lot of times it get writ- gets written off as a heaven. Yeah. Uh, but I've also heard it described as like an ideal monastery. <laughs> huh. Because the whole point yeah, yeah, of yeah, traditional yeah. Pure Land imagery is it's a place you go to practice. To practice, right, right. Yeah, so thinking back pre-modern times, yeah. right, and how difficult life was, uh, that we didn't have nice air-conditioned rooms and um, nice water control and modern kitchens and all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? So, so here's this image yeah, of the totally, ideal monastery. Yeah, that totally makes sense, an ideal monastery. That, that, and that explains, too, if you, think about terms and text, uh, if you think about it in terms of textual criticism and who wrote these sutras and for what reasons, it explains things like why when you go to a pure land, you're male. Mm-hmm. Right. It explains if you're talking about an ideal monastery, a text written by and for, you know, male monks would therefore say, well, you know, yeah, of course, no females are allowed here. We're monks. Right. It's like that's exactly it. It's an ideal monastery. Huh. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. Interesting, deep. huh? I think deep it was. And deep. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the, the, the um, person that, that said that, but it was a Japanese uh, Shinshu scholar. Huh. Well, yeah, and then that, that, then that raises questions like, you know, I, like you were saying, it's often the, the pure land is written off as like the, you know, a stand-in for heaven or um, that this world is the pure land or something like that. And um, I don't know, that's sort of the idea of it being a, an ideal monastery. Is that where you'd want to go? <laughs> you know, I mean, is an ideal monastery really the best, necessarily the best place for everybody to attain Enlightenment or, or, or awakening or, or something. I don't know. It raises question. Uh, this is this is shaking my faith in Buddhism, Harry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> not not oh, really. <laughs> well, I mean, you could even. I think from our point of view, we could view an ideal monastery as very different than the traditional view of the ideal monastery. Yeah. And yeah maybe yeah. view the ideal monastery as daily life. Like yeah. The yeah. ideal. Monastery is not a monastery at all. It's it's just the field of our lives, right? And that uh, maybe there, this is a place. I mean, maybe that's part of what the Pure Land's um, symbolism is asking us to think about. What's the point? I wasn't planning on asking that question, but <laughs> but in a way I am. What is the point of Buddhism? Who cares almost? Although I wouldn't <laughs> take it that far, but you know. But in a way, yeah, who cares? What's, so what? What's the point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why be Buddhist? What does Buddhism have? What is it talking about? Right? Aha! Uh-huh. It's asking us to practice. It's asking us to uh, live our lives in a certain way, uh, maybe with a goal, right? And, whether, and that goal could be attaining Buddhahood or it could be um, being happy or it could be helping others. I mean, I think they overlap, uh-huh. right? But it's maybe asking us, yeah, what is the point? What, what's the point of life? And it's saying, here's one option, one possibility. It's to practice in your life. Uh, practice Buddhism, right, and try and, and and learn about Buddhism. Yeah, but why? In order, well, <laughs> good question. Yeah. Just to keep keep pushing you on that one, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm not to disagree with you, and I don't disagree with you, but I mean, it, that's I think it, you know, I don't think you're off the hook yet, buddy. Just <laughs> 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 say you know, what's the point of Buddhism? The point of Buddhism is to practice to practice Buddhism, but why? That seems like circular, almost, right? Like. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And that's maybe a more traditional understanding yeah. is why are you asking for, 
reasons, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> Just yeah, do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Right? And yet there's a lot of Buddhist texts that give us reasons. Sure, sure. Whether it's recognizing the difficulties of samsara. Um, today we might um, talk a little bit about this translation by Gunther called the Jewel Ornament of Liberation, uh, which is a traditional um, Tibetan Buddhist text. Uh, but one thing that I like in here is uh, his description of samsara as, let's see if I can find it, can I find it, bewilderment, <laughs> yeah, confusion. And so looking at what Buddhism teaches about samsara, about the nature of ignorant life, life ignorant of the truth, right? The way things sh could ideally be, should be, mm -hmm. uh, and then recognizing that I don't want things to be like that. I don't want to be confused and bewildered and scared and um, uh, hedonistic and self-centered, right? That, hmm, maybe there's something else. And Buddhism, I think, teaches um, to go beyond that. Uh, and then recognizing that to, to then work not only for yourself, but for others. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Um, and so that kind of, I think, brings us in a way to what we, what we were talking about before we started recording, which is this idea of belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a lot of different things you could believe in in Buddhism. Right? And and belief maybe could be glossed with faith sometimes. Yeah. Do you believe like or you know do you believe in God? I remember thinking that question when I was a kid and being like, no, <laughs> I don't, because I wasn't brought up thinking even that I was supposed to or that was a necessarily an important thing. Right. Like I was just brought up agnostic, borderline atheist, uh, and so to me it was just like, no, I don't believe in God. Why should I? Uh, but for many people, that's an important question. And belief and faith mm -hmm. in Jesus or whatever is a huge. It's like the crux of the matter, <laughs> yeah. right? The crux of the biscuit, as Frank Zappa would say. Um, <laughs> but Buddhism, believing in Buddha, isn't necessarily the point. Maybe. Right? Uh, believing in Buddha's teachings yeah. seems to ring a little more true. Although, entrusting in Amida Buddha, I think, yeah. you know, so already we're splitting into different kinds of Buddhism, uh, different understandings of what Buddhism is about. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. So, uh, sometimes I, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I sometimes I, I, I the, the question of belief seems. Yeah, I'm of two. I'm, a, I'm of two minds of it. On the one hand, I sort of feel like the question of belief is uh, irrelevant to Buddhism, mm -hmm. because you know, belief is a, it's an English word. It's a it comes out of a Western tradition. It comes out of you know, Western uh, ideas about philosophy and the world and religion and Christianity and all these things. Um, how would you translate belief into a Buddhist context? Mm. You know, what, what, you know, Pali or Sanskrit or even classical Chinese or Japanese word would you um, use belief as a translation for, right? Mm. Um, is there one? I, you know, I'm sure people translate belief all the time, but, you know, I mean, is, is it the exact same concept well no uh, you know concepts always come from particular cultural contexts and what belief might mean in buddhism might be you know totally different from what belief means in a, a european christian context um and then you know plus there's just the whole idea of uh you know buddhism as a way of life or a philosophy you don't necessarily believe in it you just sort of do the action you know the practice or whatever 
Um, so part of me has that whole sort of perspective on it. Um, but then another part of me just feels like that's like splitting hairs, right? Like it's a semantic sort of, uh, you know, uh, ridiculous sort of academic exercise that is, <laughs> you know, what, what people do. <laughs> um, but that, you know, whether you call it belief or not, you still have to have some sort of, you know, I, I think about taking the ref, taking refuge, right? Like that's something that most Buddhists do. You take refuge, you take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. Um, what does it mean to take refuge in something? And I always assume that it just sort of meant that you, uh, trust in the fact that there is a Buddha and that there are teachings and there's a community, um, trusting in something to me implies that you believe that those things are good and that you want to follow them mm. or practice them or agree with them or whatever. It seems to me like it's a kind of belief and maybe it's not you know, a one-to-one -one identity with Christian belief slash faith. But, you know, again, it's sort of like it's sort of like splitting semantic hairs. And like, even if you don't believe in Buddha in the same way that a Christian might have faith in God, you know, you're still believing that this stuff works. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I, so again, I'm sort of on the fence there. I don't really, I don't know which of those two sides I believe in. <laughs> um, it's just something I, I, you know, I think about. And I, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. ready right here to take up a, a side necessarily. But, mm -hmm. but isn't that isn't this good? I mean, that's what Buddhism is about. I think is questioning these things. It is looking not. at them. Sorry, I'm, I'm being argumentative today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, um, uh, yeah, thinking. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, what is belief then? What do I believe? What am I am I supposed to believe in something? Right. Will believing in something get me somewhere? Um, I think Buddhism would want us to do that, would to engage in that exercise, you know, and that could be part of the path for, for someone that that's an issue for. Yeah. I think a lot of times, um, traditionally, Buddhism, belief isn't the, the point, the end point. Right, right. It's more that you think, uh-huh. So another translation for taking refuge, going to the Buddha for refuge, is going to the Buddha for guidance. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that means that, aha, uh -huh, this Buddha seems to have, be doing something right. Yeah, there seems yeah, to be yeah. something there. You figured out something. Yeah. And so I want to learn more. I want to be guided by this person. I want this person to be my teacher. And then having gone to the Buddha for refuge or for guidance, then that's not the end. It doesn't mean, aha, uh -huh, it's all over. That <laughs> to keep going and then learn. What is there to learn? Right? And then we could go uh, doctrines of impermanence or interdependence or... Um, nirvana and samsara or no self or emptiness or I mean there's like a million doctrines that we could then go into that um, I think learning a little bit about or, or you know plumbing the depths of is part of the experience of being Buddhist yeah. um, but that's not that that's true for all kinds of Buddhism I mean the, this idea of entrusting in Amida Buddha and um, whether that means having faith in or, or having this entrusting mind somehow coming to trust uh, the compassion of the Buddha you know, in, in Shinshu, it seems like that's more an end point than maybe in more traditional kinds of Buddhism, right? That, that this kind of Buddhism that is for people who can't be monks, for people that can't, aren't the best of the best to be able to, um, you know, dive into all this kind of Buddhist stuff and practice and devote their lives 100% of the time, uh, Shinshu seems it's more for people who can't do that. Right? And so that that entrusting and that um, quote-unquote believing in maybe the Buddha uh, is the point in a way. Maybe even um, 
The end point. Yeah. Um, but then what do you believe in? What are you supposed to believe in? I think that's maybe a question we could ask. Do I have to believe in the pure land? Right. Do I have to believe in this um, fantastic imagery? Do I have to believe that there really was a king eons in the past, maybe not even on this planet, um, who you know met another Buddha um, before the dawn of humankind on earth or something, you know, it's like trying to reconcile that stuff. Is that what we're supposed to believe? Or is it some, is that belief something that I can generate myself? Is it like saying, yeah, I believe in God. Um, I believe in Buddha, you know, because I believe it, you know, or is it because of some experience that you've had? Is there some kind of transformative experience of, uh, of this entrusting, you know, that it's, it's not something that you can just say, oh yeah, I believe that, or I don't believe that. Um, and I think, I mean, that's, that's the crux of the issue maybe in, in, um, in, in Shinshu in a way is mm-hmm. that entrusting experience, you know, that it's, it's more than just, oh yeah, people told me it's true, so I guess I should believe it. I want to yeah. be like my friends or something. Um, and yet that's part of it too, right? Do you need to have that, some kind of mystical experience, some kind of transformative experience to, yeah, to you be do. Shinshu? You do. Okay. <laughs> no, you don't. Um, but I, I, I Correct me if I'm wrong, Sensei. <laughs> um, but it doesn't. It, I mean, it seems to me like the whole idea of. I don't know. It seems to me like if you say I am going to believe in this thing, then what you're doing is you're being, even though, even though belief is not, even though belief is a, a mental thing, it's still an action. You're choosing to believe in something. Mm-hmm. So if I choose to believe in something, how is that any other, how is that any different from any other self-powered practice, mm-hmm. right? right? And Shin Buddhism is all about letting go of this idea that, that that I as an individual can affect my own enlightenment or awakening or whatnot. And that's what the entrusting really is, right? The entrusting is sort of just trusting that this is going to happen without relying on the self-powered ego, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so part of the crux of the issue for me, wouldn't that be that it doesn't matter whether I believe in something or not because it's not about me in the first place? Interesting. Maybe. It's, it's, this is a brand new thought for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean to just... I, I think the, the flip side of belief is doubt. Mm-hmm. Not believing. Yeah. Right. And Shinran's interesting because he talks about it a lot. Oh, it does? Yeah, doubt all the time. And... Um, it seems like even towards the end of his life, he still had doubt. Uh, there was still this kind of, you know, flip-flop back and forth. And the doubt comes from that ego, from the self-power mind that's like always trying to categorize things, always trying to yeah. own things, always trying to, to, um, to understand things or grasp things. Uh, and so he deals with that till the end of his life. But then, yeah, the, the true entrusting in Shinshu is other power entrusting. Right, that one is brought to entrust. It's not me entrusting. It's something, something bigger than just me. Right. So it's not something that I can generate. It's not something that I can do. Um, and and that's part of the problem I think in Shinshu is like, so what the heck do I do? <laughs> <laughs> How do you get there? Right. Um, but does that entail some kind of mystical experience or or religious experience or transformative experience of of having been shown? the limits of one's ego self and that there is something more. Yeah. Right. And not, not in the sense of me doing it, but of that happening to me. Um, so, I mean, this is where Shinshu gets really, really hard, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
it's not merely saying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm limited, it's all self-power, so I'm not going to, whatever I think is, is wrong, <laughs> right? There's something, that's not the point, I don't think, it's more... Um, well, I mean, it's, I it's, it's like the, it's, it's being stuck on a wheel, right? Like, you can keep going around and around, right? I mean, if, if belief is all about self-power and ego-driven thoughts, then, and doubt is all about self-power, even ego-driven thoughts, then you just sort of, you keep going around in circles. And that's the problem, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, to me, because basically we're talking about Shinjin, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. Interesting mind, right? And to me, it, it, when I spoke at the Zen Center, um, you know, there were certain, <laughs> you were there, there were certain people that really felt like I was just being Christian. I think, right? They're like, what oh, are yeah. you talking about? You know? I, think, I think somebody actually accused you of... Yeah, that I sounded <laughs> like a Christian preacher, Protestant yeah. preacher. Um, and yet, to me, the whole Shinjin thing is almost like Satori and Zen or, or whatever. You know, it's, it's breaking through. And that's, but that's maybe great, this idea that belief isn't something I can do. That's one problem, is trying to believe. And the other problem is the doubt is always keeping me yeah, off track. Yeah, yeah. Right? So the, the, the awakening experience is beyond me. It's beyond the dualism of this world. It's, so maybe, yeah, it is non-duality breaking in on us, right? But using different metaphors than Zen uses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, and, you know, inter interestingly, after that talk you gave, um, I had a number of people, a number of different things uh, came up to, uh, afterwards the, about how, uh, you know, Dogen himself talked about Tariki and Jiriki. Mm. Um, you know, it's just that they're having a different conversation, mm -hmm. right? They're using different metaphors, mm -hmm. about to talk about the same thing, but it's that same idea. You know, I mean, think about, you know, Zen meditation is all about, you know, just sit, right? Just sit. And when you're just sitting, it's not about you. It's not about I, it's you're, you know, sitting just happens. It's the same to me, same sort of, there's a, there's a sort of fundamental Buddhist perspective on non-duality that's expressed in different ways. And I think people get hung up on the idea of letting go and the language that we use in Shin Buddhism of letting go reminds people of Christian concepts of grace. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, the same exact thing in Zen about letting go is different. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it doesn't set off the same alarm bells. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm sure I could write a whole book about, <laughs> you know, sources for where these, these, these problems arise and, and, and whatnot, but it's interesting to me because it seems like that's the same sort of thing. Like, you know, eventually you get to the point where it's not about you. It's not about my belief or my doubt or my anything, you know, enlightenment sort of just happens whether you're doing it. And I read this, this interesting thing on a blog where somebody said it doesn't matter what kind of practice you do. Um, you could, you know, your practice could be Zazen, your practice could be, you know, Shin practice, your practice could be, um, I think what he said was uh, riding a unicycle through Times Square backwards. <laughs> I'm going to try to remember what blog that was. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, blathering Nonsense is the name of the blog. Um, anyway, uh, like you could, you know, no matter what your practice is, doesn't really matter. Um, eventually you have to get to that point where you let go and, or letting go happens. It's not, you know, whatever. Um, and that's, that's what the important thing is. It's not whether it's your practice or not your practice. It's the sort of, it's the goal, not the path. I, I'm, I'm not, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, we didn't talk about what I ended up talking about in the, the email exchange, but we went in a completely different direction. Uh, and I think this, this, uh, 
issue of belief. I mean, Buddhism without beliefs, the Bachelor book, yeah. is that's old by now, like ten years ago or fifteen oh, years ago. He has, he has right? a new one, so he's back in the. Press. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like atheist something or other, right? Yeah. Buddhist yeah. atheist or something. Yeah. Like um, so it's still alive and well this topic, um, but I think I don't know. I think it's worth it's worth um, investigating, worth uh, looking into this issue of belief, and I'm sure we could um, talk about it a lot more. Mm-hmm.